Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. I'd say a couple times a month, I find myself in a conversation with somebody that I, that I don't know, and it kind of goes something like this. You know, you're kind of having a conversation, you have those niceties, and eventually, usually I've found out a little bit about them, where they work, what they do, their family, this kind of thing, and then they look at me and they go, well, how about you? What kind of work do you do? And then I look at them and go, after they've talked a little while, I go, well, I'm a pastor, and then they always go, oh, <laughs> like... Did I do anything where I'm going to get busted with God for this? Like, is he going to, they always have that look. And they, they, they kind of get the shock look. They go, oh, yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. They're nervous now. And then they usually go, okay, well, um, you know, what, what, church, what church? What church are you a pastor at? I'm like, well, it's a church. It's Mommy Church. Not Mommy Church. I've been here. It's called Calvary Church in Mommy. Calvary Church. Yeah, okay, cool. Cool. Where's, where's that? They usually go, kind of, where is that? And I'm like, well, we meet in the old movie theater. And I'm like, oh, yeah, the old movie theater, the one there at, uh, at, at Conant in the trail. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Yeah. That's not this building. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. They usually go, oh, you mean the, the, down, down at the trail? I says, no, it's, it's the one used to be the Mommy 18, kind of further up on Conant Street. And they go, oh, the big one. Like, that's what they say usually. Well, <laughs> oh, that big, that big building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, my line is usually, well, did, you ever, did you ever see movies there? Oh, like 80%, 90% of the time. They're like, yeah, man, that's all kinds of movies there. And then this almost always happens. Almost always. And these are the exact words. They like lean in. They're like, yeah, I saw a lot of movies there. Hey, I've always wondered, what did you people do in there? Like that's the exact, they can't understand how you would take a movie theater and turn it into a church. And their exact words are always this. What did you people do in there? And the question really isn't so much, I've come to find out, what did you people do in there? Although they're interested. How do you, how do you take facility-wise? How, how do you take a movie theater and turn it into church? Here's what their question really is. It's not so much, what did you people do in there? They really want to know, what do you people do in there? When, when you go in there on Sundays, all that, all that room, what, what do you do in there? And what I found is, and I think it, I think it kind of comes from this root, there are so many people, and I'm finding this out more and more, who do not understand really what the church is all about. Or oftentimes, they have a misunderstanding of what the church is all about. Because unfortunately, there are people and experiences and, and, and places out there where people either are misinformed about the church, they've had misunderstandings about the church, or they've had bad experiences in the church, right? There's all of that. And so sometimes people just want to know, what is it that you do in there? Today we're going to look in Acts chapter 11 at, at, quite truthfully, outside of the church in Jerusalem, probably the most strategic church in the New Testament. What we see from the church in Antioch is huge as we get moving forward into um, the book of Acts. And we're going to look at this church today, and I, I want to answer a question for you today. It's this, what in the world is the church? What's our role as we go out into the world, as we live our lives in front of people around us, what in the world is the church? And so we're going to take time to walk through kind of verses 19 through 30 of Acts chapter 11, and we're going to answer this question. We're just going to kind of tell the story, and as we do, I want to make a few observations. Let's look at this. Acts chapter 11, beginning with verse 19. We read, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia... Cyprus and Antioch, 
spreading the word only among Jews. Now, a couple weeks ago, when when Dr. Nunley was here, he helped to give us some perspective geographically on how the church was moving forward. And we read this text, it would be important for us to think again and just kind of see a picture of what is actually happening here. Because if you're like me, the names of those places don't mean anything to me. So take a look at this map, because I think this will help us a little bit. When you look at this map, you'll see some of how this, this geographically must have played out. So when you look down at the very bottom of the map, do you see where it says Jerusalem? I'm lonely. Do you see where it says Jerusalem? All right, you with me? Come on, people. It's the third service. All right. All right. So you got Judea. Then to your right, there's that blue body of water. That's the Dead Sea. The church starts in Jerusalem. And then we've watched and seen how it's spread. We'll talk about why here in just a moment. But the church has spread, and we've watched it go up the coast of the Mediterranean there, up into Caesarea. When there was persecution, the church began to spread. People began to move. Do you see that other little blue body of water right between Tyre and Caesarea? Do you see that there? That's called, thank you. That's called the Sea of Galilee. And so the region there, that's what we would refer to as Galilee, or just below there is what's called Samaria that we've read about. So you've got all that there. And when when persecution originally hit, a lot of the Jewish background believers that were from Jerusalem in the church went to these areas of Galilee and even into Samaria because they would have been familiar with that. But now we're reading in Acts chapter 11 that you've got people going all the way up to Phoenicia. Do you see that in the white there? That's kind of like that whole region was called Phoenicia. You got Cyprus, the island that's out in the Mediterranean there to the left, and then up into what was called Syria at, at that time and, and is the city of Antioch. Do you see Antioch up top? Okay, so th- this, is, this is where we're talking. The gospel is moving in this direction, and that's critical for us to see, especially when we talk about Antioch. Antioch's about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It was the third largest city at this time in the Roman Empire. You had had Rome, right, which was the center of the Roman Empire. You have Alexandria, which is in Egypt, and now you have Antioch, which is in present-day Turkey, which is the most kind of key city in, in that region that we're looking at. Third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time is the city of Antioch. Population would have been somewhere between a quarter million and a half a million people depending on the the details that you look at. And they had a really strong Jewish population. So that means that when some of these Jewish believers who may have had a a Greek background, maybe they weren't born in Jerusalem, they weren't familiar with Jerusalem, when they have to scatter and go to other places, it just makes sense for them to go to a place like Antioch. Why? Well, maybe they had family there. Or maybe because of their Greek background, even though they were Jews, they felt more comfortable in that environment. Or maybe if you're looking for a job, where do you go? You go to the big city because that's where the, that's where the jobs are. So they're scattering, and many of them end up in these different regions and end up in this place called Antioch. And there's something that I want you to see here, and this, this is really important to see what's happening. Persecution is coming to the church in Jerusalem, and when the persecution comes, it forces the believers to scatter. And when they get to those places, it's interesting to watch what happens. They don't hide. They don't denounce their faith. They don't try to fly under the radar. They share their faith with other people. Why? And here's what I want you to see. The church is resilient. Isn't resilient a good word? Like, I like that word. 
It means that it has strength. It means that it holds up even in difficult times. It means that even though there's opposition and even though there's difficulty, the church is resilient and it stands strong. We see this in Acts 11. We also saw it in Acts chapter 8. Like if you rewind, we, we were there when we were in Acts chapter 8, two or three years ago, right? It's been a while. Acts chapter 8, here's what we read. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then when you get to verse 4, look at what we read. It says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Look, this is important. And it's personally important for you. Because the believers, when they got to these places, they didn't hide. They continued to preach. Now, I don't think anybody, I don't think the leaders, I don't think... Peter and John and the crew got together and said, we need a strategic plan. We need a, we need a strategic business plan for how we're going to grow this thing. You know what we need? Maybe a little persecution. Do you think anybody thought that? But the persecution came, and when it did, it caused them to scatter. And when it scattered, it meant that the Christians didn't just stay in Jerusalem. See, the Jewish Christians could have just stayed in Jerusalem. They could have just been this little group of just people like themselves, and they could have been very comfortable there, and they would have just been this little cluster, this other little kind of sect of Judaism, but because of the persecution, it forced them to leave where they were. When they, leave, when they left, when they leave, you've heard that, right? When they leave where they were, it took them out in places beyond themselves, and they began to talk to other people different than themselves, and the gospel spread, and when the gospel spread 2,000 years ago, that means that you sit here in 2018, and you know the truth about Jesus Christ. That persecution forced them into a place where God could use them to do amazing things. And I like to think of it this way. It seemed like a setback, didn't it? That that persecution and opposition, that that pain would come. But to think that God was using that setback as a setup for them to move the gospel forward. Sometimes what seems like a setback is a setup. Opposition often brings opportunity. And this is a good principle for you to remember, that when you face difficulties in your life, opposition often brings opportunity. And I see this over and over again, because you, you'll walk up to me in the atrium after service, and you'll say, Pastor, I need you to pray for me this week. Pastor, here's, here's what's going on in my life, and I'm asking you to pray for me. And so we pray, and you talk about the job that you're devastated to lose, only to find out that that job loss is what opens the door to your dream job down the road. And you're, you're hurt because that breakup is so painful today, and you realize later it's because of that breakup that you're free to meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright. The house that you wanted so badly that goes to the highest bidder and you miss out on it, you end up finding out leads you to the perfect place that God would have for you to live. Those times when it seems like your adversary is winning today, but you come to realize that time was on your side and in the end, God helps you to be victorious. And I love it when you come and say, Pastor, will you pray for me this week? And then you fast forward a few weeks and that's when we stand there and you'll say, you won't believe what God did. Here's why. Because opposition is often the way that God brings opportunity. Have you found that to be true? So look, in the midst of this, and some of you are in the midst of it, don't give in to this opposition. Don't, don't stop. Look, when you're moving forward, there will be pressure. It's going to come. Never let pressure stop your progress. Never let that pressure stop your progress. That, that's important today, that you realize that the church 
is resilient. And and I would say it's important for for two different reasons. One, it's important because because the church, all of us together, we're resilient. And there's a lot of people, I would even say maybe church insiders, who have kind of begun to just kind of wring their hands, right? And they're, they're worried, they're nervous, and they're saying, oh, it's a bad time for the church. There's a lot of people who are opposed to the church because our, our world is changing so much. Have you noticed that our culture is changing a lot? Anybody? Like, it's true. And have you noticed that there's probably more hostility towards the church today than there was in years past? Anybody else seen this? Like, there's just kind of this growing feeling of, of opposition in some ways towards the church. And there's a lot of people who've begun to just go, oh, I don't know. I don't know that the church isn't relevant. The, the church doesn't make a difference anymore. Does the church really matter? Because, and here's what people say, they say, look, our world is changing so fast. I'm afraid the church is going to find itself on the wrong side of history. And I hear this from people. I've even heard some people say, look, the church doesn't matter. The church is, is dead. I read a story a couple weeks ago about a guy in the country of Spain that some people walked in and they found him unconscious on the floor. He hit his head and he was unconscious on the floor. So they, they kind of rushed him to get some medical attention and they had people look at him and eventually there were three different doctors and they checked him out and they came to this conclusion, he's dead. And so they took him. They moved him from where they took care of him. They moved him into the morgue, and he, he laid there in the morgue for four hours, and they were going to do an autopsy because they were trying to figure out what was going on. And th- this happened in Spain. They were just about to do the autopsy when all of a sudden they heard this weird noise, and they checked, and that dead guy was snoring. <laughs> like when he hit his head, he, his body kind of just went into this state where it, everything just kind of shut down. His breathing got real shallow, and I, I don't know whether they didn't do a thorough check or exactly what happened, but eventually the guy that they thought was dead was actually alive and well. When he eventually woke up, he, he started asking questions about his family and, hey, what's going on, and all this kind of thing. And they thought he was dead, but he wasn't. There are people who think the church is dead. They think the church is irrelevant. They think the church has lost its place or lost its power, and I can tell you the church is not dead. The church is alive and well. Look, and all throughout history, people have said the church is on the wrong side of history. But I want you to know this, and you're going to see this over and over again, especially as we get into the book of Acts. Never underestimate the church of Jesus Christ. Because just about the time you think that there's too much oppression or too much opposition, and I have a feeling we're going to be talking about this more in years ahead, about the church and about the church's role. Never underestimate the church of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because she's resilient. She's the bride of Christ. And she stood firm throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia, and God is not going to let her down now, right? Never underestimate the church of Jesus Christ. Here's why. Because in the midst of a changing culture, we serve a never-changing God. He doesn't change. And if I'm going to place my bet on something, I would rather stand and put my confidence in a God who does not change than in a world that is always changing. Scripture says, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Know this, Jesus never changes. You can put your confidence in him. And here's what he said about the church. When the church kind of launched, he, he was talking with Peter, and Peter said, I know who you are. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And here's what Jesus said about that. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. There is nothing that stops the church. The church is special. 
And here's what I want you to know, and this, this is why what we say matters. The church is the hope of the world. It, it's, it's the agency that God has created. It's, it's the, the pipeline that God uses to bring his hope and his life and his peace to others. There's something special about the church. So know this, when we talk about the church corporately, the church is resilient. And when I talk about you personally, know this, God has designed you as a, as a member of his church to be resilient. I love that word. There's something about that word that says there's strength and there's hope and I can move forward. But some of you are saying, that's cool, Chad. I like the word resilient, but I'm tired. Anybody? <laughs> like I'm facing opposition and I'm facing difficulty. And the last thing I feel like being right, being right now is being resilient. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30. Look, look at this. It said, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. Can I get an amen from the tired and weary here today? Anybody? Like I've been there. There's moments where you go, I don't feel resilient. But here's what he says, verse 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Look, God has built you. He's designed you that even when you're tired, even when you're weary, he's the one who gives us strength. You are a part of the church of Jesus Christ, and he's called you to be resilient as you put your trust in him. That's, that's a powerful truth that's here. Go back to Acts chapter 11, though. Watch it goes even deeper. Acts chapter 11, back to verse 19, we read this. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Now, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Did you notice they didn't stop sharing their faith just because of the persecution? Like where they went, right where they were, they continued to tell people about what Jesus had done for them. And this is, this is I think, strategic for us to see. Look, your mission field is where you are. Sometimes we think if I'm, if I'm gonna have a mission field, I, I gotta take a trip to Puerto Rico, or I gotta move to another side of the world, or I gotta do this or that. Look, right where you work, right where you go to school, right where you live, in the family God's put you, in the people you interact with, that's your mission field. And don't, don't push it aside and go, well, God will use me to reach people somewhere else. He wants you to reach people right where you are. Your mission field is where you are. And here's what they understood. I, I don't care. Well, I do care. But I don't care what you do. I, I don't care what you build, what you make, what, who you teach. I don't, I don't care how you, you make your paycheck. No matter what your job is, no matter what your, your role in life might be right now that you'd put on a business card, you know that ultimately God has called every one of us to be his messenger, right? Like your first priority, the reason you're where you are is because we are agents of life change. He's called you to be used by him to help others to hear his truth, to know his son, Jesus Christ, to experience the life change that only he can bring. You are an agent of life change. What does that mean? Let me give you kind of three different pictures of this life change. One of it is what I would call local life change. Like, like part of what God's called you to is what I would call local life change. If you remember, 
when they left Jerusalem, they scattered, right? And they went to Phoenicia and Cyprus and they went to Antioch. And it says in, in that first verse, when they got there, they shared the gospel. But do you remember this? Help me out. They shared it only with the Jews. Isn't that interesting? They pointed it out there. It says they shared it only with the Jews. Why do you think they only shared it with the Jews? Because they were Jews. They were Jewish people. And what was natural was for them to interact and share it with people who were local, people who were like them. Their natural response was to share it with people in their world. The first kind of life change, and I think the first place where you really need to be concerned is are you sharing your faith in this way? See, local life change is reaching those inside your world. Your family, your friends, your coworkers, people who are like you. Now look, that, that's, that's probably the easiest way to do it. It takes courage, and you're gonna have to take a step of faith to, to maybe talk to somebody about your faith, but it, it's not too much outside your comfort zone because you're right there in your world, and you're sharing it with people locally, you, this local life change, people like you. But then you get these folks, from, it says from Cyprus and Cyrene, who began not just to share with the Jews, but in Antioch, they began to speak to the Greeks also. Remember, this is a big deal. We, we looked at this the last couple weeks because the Greeks and the, and the Jews, they, they were diametrically opposed to each other. And now they're reaching out. It's not just local life change, but they've blown the limits off this thing. This is what I would call unlimited life change. It's not just local, it's unlimited. It's, it's reaching beyond themselves and touching other people, sharing their faith with other people. It might be a stretch outside your comfort zone, but you can't be limited by those differences. Unlimited life change is reaching those outside your world. Not just those inside your world, but the people who are different from you. You, you think about it. Dif different in what they do, different in how they look, different in where they come from, different in so many ways. But if God has put you in that place, then he wants you to share your faith with them. Which, which is really interesting, because for many of us, we'd go, okay, cool, I'll agree. What do I do? How do I tell others about Jesus? What's, what's the secret? What's the, what's the key? What do I do? Look, you could read a book, or you could go to a class, or you could, you could talk to some people, and all that's good. If you can prepare yourself on how to share your faith, that's a powerful thing. But did you see what they did? It says when they rolled up into town, when they had interaction with other people, they just told them about Jesus. They didn't try to be sneaky or, or tricky about it. How do, you, how do you tell others about Jesus? You just tell your story. You just tell what he's done for you. You just tell about the difference that he's made in your life. You just share the role that Jesus Christ has done and why you're following him. And look, you might go, well, why would I ever tell this story? Here's why. Because the story of Jesus is good news. This isn't a bad story. It's a good story. Do you think people could use some good news? Look, here's, here's where I fall short so many times. Like I'm interacting with somebody. And something kind of moves in me a little bit. Or I think about the fact, this, this happened to me just, just this week. I was, I was on an airplane, and sometimes I've just got to be reminded of kind of where people are. And I'm on this plane, and it's the end of the flight, and you stand up, and uh, you're getting ready to get off the plane, and people are so excited in that moment, aren't they? They just love being stuck there, waiting for them to open the door. And I'm standing there waiting, and I was, I was like three rows from the back, which is also a place where people are really happy at that moment, Right? Like, they can't wait to get out of there. And I begin to watch and see, like, human nature come out of people in these moments. 
And I had, I had, it was like a melting pot back there. You could tell people from different countries, people from different places, different social backgrounds, different economic backgrounds. It was all this, and they're all, and I'm watching them, and I'm watching their frustration, and I'm watching their concerns, and, it, and you can hear them on their phone calls. I have the spiritual gift of eavesdropping. Have you ever heard of that? And so all this is taking place like in this moment, right? And you know what hit me? What hit me is like, these people need Jesus. Like I've had something happen in my life doesn't make me better, but it's something that has made me changed. And they need this. Like there was this reality that hit me in this moment. But here's what I do. In those moments where I see that somebody needs that, I typically have a tendency to kind of talk myself out of having that conversation. Because I sit there and I go, and look, this, this, this has happened to me multiple occasions recently, where I look at somebody and I go, man, it sure seems like they have it all together. And I look at them and I see on the outside, maybe, maybe they have all the resources they need. Maybe they have great jobs. Maybe they have a lot of friends. Maybe they just, they look good. And you just kind of, you're kind of like, man, they, they don't need this. And what you find out is they look great on the surface, but they're falling apart inside. And I miss that because I've got to realize that no matter what they look like, just know this, there are people waiting for you to tell them. People in your world, people that God has put in your orbit that are just waiting to hear this from you. But what I often do is I talk myself out of it. And I go, well, I'd, I'd tell them, but they're just going to say no. Here, here's the truth. When you tell somebody about Jesus, odds are that the moment that you tell your story, there will not be a bright light. It's not going to be a Damascus road. You're not going to, oh, angels in the whole bit. It's probably not going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to tell them. Then they're going to watch you live it out. And then you're going to tell them again. And then they're going to watch you live it out. And then you're going to tell them again. And then they're going to check and see if you live it out. It'll probably be a progress. It'll be a process that you're going to have to watch happen. But at some point, something's going to click. And, and what I do is I look at people and I go, ah, they're probably not interested. If I tell them, they're probably going to say no. Look, don't say someone else's no for them. Let them say no. Give them the opportunity to say yes. Give them the opportunity to hear the story of Jesus. There's local life change. There's unlimited life change. Let me give you a third one just super quick. It's what we would call global life change. At the end of this passage in Acts chapter 11, that we won't take the time to read it, but there's a famine, and it doesn't happen in Antioch. It doesn't happen where the church is. It's somewhere else in the world. But the church in Antioch says, look, those people are suffering. We can do something to help them. It's a concern, not just with their world, not just with those outside their world, but it's a concern with the world, that there's a difference that you can make. Global life change is reaching those around the world. And do you see how this works? We've been called to bring life change and reach those in our world, reach those outside of our world, reach those around the world. That's how God has created us and called us. He wants us to tell the story of who he is Back to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 21. It says, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. This, this is really important to see, because as the church moves forward, the church grows. Healthy things grow, right? And as the church grew, as the church was healthy, as the church moved forward, the church was growing. Here's, here's what I see here. God wants the church to grow. 
Because if we're going to reach more people, then that means there's going to be more people, right? And he wants us to grow. He wants us to reach out because people matter to God. Now, oftentimes, and, and I don't mean this in a defensive way, but oftentimes I'll have, I'll have somebody say something about big churches and, and kind of speak in a way that's, that's not very positive or complimentary about big churches. Here's the deal. I don't think God only wants big churches, right? God uses people and groups and churches of all sizes, right? And he calls us and leads us in different ways. But the example that we see here in Antioch is of a big church. There were a great number of people who were there. So God's okay with big churches. Now, Calvary's, Calvary's not what you would call a mega church. We're, we're not that, but, but we are probably a larger size church. In our fellowship of believers, it's called the Assemblies of God. We're probably in the top 5%. Does it matter? No, nah, not really. Look, it's not our identity. Here's what we know, though. We want to continue to grow because if God has given us the opportunity to reach more people, shouldn't we want to reach more people? Look, he's given us resource. He's given us a season of his favor. He's given us a chance to influence other people. And if he's done that, we want to be good stewards with it. So just like the church in Antioch, if we can grow, if we can reach more people, shouldn't we? And so, so that's where we're at. That's what we want to do. So you see this in this passage of scripture. Here's what happens, though. Sometimes, and, I, and I'm saying this because Antioch was a big church, and I want you to watch what happens here. Sometimes I'll, I'll hear people say like these big church myths. These things that they say are true about big churches, and at least based on the example of Antioch, I, I don't know that they're true. Here's, here's myth number one, that big churches are impersonal. That big churches are impersonal. Look at this, Acts chapter 11, verse 22. Let, let me show you how the church at Antioch would answer this. News of, of this growth reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now, this dude Barnabas is a key figure in, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. When we get to Acts chapter 13 in a couple of weeks, we're going to kind of do a, a deep dive into who he was. But he went there to make sure that the church was moving forward, that people were interacting, that there was, there was something that was happening where they were encouraging each other. Our vision as a church is life change. That's why we talked about local, unlimited, global life change. We believe that God's called us to bring life change. And we often say that life change happens when these three things happen. The, there are three different words. The first one, we believe life change happens, and the first word that we use is connect. Have you ever heard us use that word connect? I hope so, because we say it a lot. Why? Because we believe that when we connect, something powerful happens. And you see this in this story, that when you connect with other believers, there's encouragement, there's life, there's growth that happens. I become better when I connect with you. And some of you would say, well, look, I've been coming to church, and I'm just, I'm just kind of having a hard time connecting. It's just not happening. And oftentimes, I'll say, well, hey, have you, have you done anything about it? And if you would say to me, yeah, I've, I've tried and I'm just not connecting, then I would say, look, we're sorry because our heart is that you would and we want to help you any way that we can to, to connect and be a part of the life of what God's doing here at Calvary. Oftentimes, though, people, I'll, I'll say, well, you're having a hard time connecting. What have you done about it? And they're like, nothing. Well, well here's a principle for you. I think this is just a great principle in life. Your level of connection is largely determined by your level of intention. Your level of connection 
is largely determined by your level of intention. If you want to connect, then you need to be intentional about it. If you're not intentional about it, then you might not connect. So here's, here's some encouragement. This Friday night, we're having our new people party. Today's the last day for you to sign up. It, if you're new to the church in the last year, this is a tremendous opportunity to come, learn a little bit more about the church, learn about our team. We'll take you on a tour of the building, give you an opportunity to see how you can get connected to what's happening here. It's fun. That's why we call it a party. We'd love for you to come. Or maybe you haven't taken part in vision and values yet. This, this is the, 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 the seminar, the class that we do, just kind of help people know this is what Calvary's about. This is what we believe. Here's how you can get involved in what's happening here. We, we just... Uh, we just had it this last Wednesday night. We had 60 people come out. We'll do it again in March and learn about how you can be a part of what God's doing here at Calvary. But we believe how important it is that, that Calvary be, be a small church with a lot of people. Does that make sense? We want you to connect. Here's the second myth that I hear sometimes about big churches. Myth number two, big churches don't disciple mature believers. That big churches... Do, do not teach, they, they do disciple believers to a place of maturity. Wasn't the case in Antioch. Look at this big church. Acts chapter 11, verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, he had to go get a tag team teacher. Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. There's the church teaching and learning and, and doing and discipling all happening in this church. When we talk about life change at Calvary, we believe that life change happens. We got these three words. The first one is connect. Anybody know the second one? It is grow. grow. Yeah, it's grow. We believe that something happens when we connect and when we grow. Look, the Bible tells us, and we see it in this story, that the church is to teach, that the church is to give you opportunities to grow in your faith and, and to to be taught what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The church is to teach, but watch this, Christians learn. If you're, if you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ, then you don't wanna stay where you are. You, you wanna mature, you wanna develop in your faith, you want to grow. Now look, I, you, you might say, well, how do I do that? I've found in my own life, growth happens primarily in two different ways. One, I learn by doing. When I get involved, when I get active, when I, when I do something, then I develop as a process of that. So I learn by doing. The other thing, and this, this has become so significant in my life, you learn by putting yourself in a place to learn. Like, like I can say all day, hey, I want to learn, I want to grow. But if I never do anything about it, am I ever going to grow? <laughs> Look, you learn by putting yourself in a place to learn. And so I, I shot this email out to Pastor Bill this week, and, and this is just, the, I, I love the way that the Holy Spirit lines things up sometimes, and I says, hey, we're, we're going to talk about growing and learning on Sunday. Can I share about some of the classes that are going to start here in the next month or so? And he says, as a matter of fact, we're handing out new life change guides this week. So, so this, is, this is not a coincidence. This is God saying, pay attention, Right? And so we, we've got these here. I hope you'll check this out. All the opportunities that are here at the church, we've got different classes that are happening, can help you through the season of life you're going through, can help you how to learn more about the Bible, can help you to learn um, more about how you can have a healthy marriage or how you can be a healthy parent. There's a lot of different information that's in here. I hope you'll take advantage of this. 
Maybe you're at a place where, where you're saying, I'd, I'd love to dig deeper into the word of God so I can be prepared for things that God wants to do in my life. We have the Calvary Ministry School. We've got about 40 people who are going through that right now. And it's not too late. It's just started. You can, you can jump in right now in what's happening there. If you go onto our website under the media tab that's there, if you hover over it, something will drop down that says Right Now Media. And it's packed full with resources, free videos that, that are great for you and your kids to watch and to learn. There's all kinds of resources that are available that I hope will dispel myth number two. Here's the third one. Myth number three, big churches don't need me. Big churches don't need me. Look, that's just not true. But a lot of times, and especially if we're, we're doing our job well, you might walk in on a Sunday and go, everything's happening around here. Everything's working. It seems to be cool. They must not need me. And look, that's just not true. There are so many places. You, you saw the multiplying kid in that video, right? <laughs> look, God may be speaking to your heart about getting involved in children's ministry. I hope so. I hope maybe even for some of you, if you're a little hesitant, get, give it a shot. We're, we're going to open up six new preschool classrooms here in the, in the next couple of months as our renovation finishes up. And so that means that God's stirring in people's hearts to get involved and really impact lives. It's not just kids' ministry. It's our worship and our tech, our hospitality, our teaching, our, our, our student ministry. So many different places that you can get involved. And, and I think that's a part of what we see in Scripture. We already saw it at the end of this chapter when they reach out to other people. Know this. We believe that life change happens when we connect, when we grow, and when we... Nice work. Awesome. Why do we serve? Here's why. Because there are things that need done in the world, in people's lives, in the church, and ability comes with responsibility. Ability comes with responsibility. If I have the ability to do something, I have the responsibility to do something. To say, God, how do you want to use me? How can I give you my resource or my time or my ability or my skills or myself? And you know, when we reach out into the community, we, we call that, if you're, if you're familiar with this, we call that love the 419. Have you heard that? We call it love the 419 because our area code is? You're paying attention. This is awesome. We also call it that because 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, 1 John 4, 1-9 says we love because he first loved us. See, it's his love for us at work in us that, that motivates us to reach out to other people, to make a difference in the world, to make a difference in people's lives. And I love it that we do this as a church. And Leah Loran is leading us so well to make a difference and have an impact. And so many times I'll, I'll have people walk up to me and they'll be like, I just love that our church reaches out to the community. I, I, I love that our church loves the 419. And I have to ask myself sometimes, even, even about myself, do I love the 419 or do I just love that we love the 419? Like, do I just like the idea that we do it or do I actually let God work in my heart so that I'm actively with compassion loving the 419? Do I love the 419? Or do I just like the idea of loving the 419? You see it in this church in Antioch. 
And it's our model for this church called Calvary Church in Mommy. That life change happens when we connect and when we grow and when we serve. One last thing. Go back to verse um, 26 in Acts chapter 11. The very end, and here's a little piece of history for you. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. If you, if you had to take a little census and they asked you what your religion was, you'd, you'd probably, the generic answer that you could choose from would be Christian. It's this title that's used for anybody that's a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you ask yourself, where did it come from, now you know. Like the, the term Christian, it was in Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. And just for the record, it wasn't a good thing, actually. They were just trying to figure out, how do we describe these people? It was, it was like this partisan statement. You know how we look at people and we sometimes try to just put them in some kind of camp where they're a Republican or they're a Democrat or however you look at it. They would use it and the language of this time would kind of put that A-N on the end of it. So if you followed Herod, who was the king there in that kind of part of Syria, you would be called a Herodian, I-A-N on the end, Herodian, a Herodian. If you were a follower of Caesar in that day and time, and they wanted to refer to you as being a part of his party, you would be called a Caesarian. Does that make sense? So now they're looking at these new people that are rolling into town. And they're living different. They're talking about something that's happened to them. They keep sharing good news. They're, they're different from other people. And we got to come up with something to call them. They keep talking about how they put their faith in this guy, Jesus, and they think he's He's the Christ. So why don't we call them Christians? Why don't we call them Christians? It wasn't a compliment. It was a little bit derogatory. They just had to put them in some category. So they said, well, let's, let's find something to call these little Christs, these people who are like Christ, these people who belong to Christ. Let's just call them Christians. But by the time you get to the next century, by the time you get to the second century, guess what the followers of Jesus have started calling themselves? They've started calling themselves Christians because they said, if you want to say that we're like Jesus, then you got it right. If you want to say that we're trying to be little examples of our big savior, then that's exactly who we are. That name fit them perfectly. And they said, yes, we're Christians. Get this about this story. People knew who they were by the way that they lived. People knew who they were by the way that they lived. Did you ever have a nickname? Maybe when you were a kid, some of them might not have been very nice. But some of them maybe just kind of fit you perfectly. Maybe you had the name that your parents gave you, but then other people called you something that they just saw in you. Maybe it was a physical attribute. Maybe it was the way that you lived. Maybe it was something about you, but they called you that because that's what they saw. They didn't know what to call the church, so they called them. You're, you're just like Christ. You're followers of him. People knew who they were by the way that they lived. Here's my question for you. When people see the way you live, what will they call you? When they see you, would, would they call you a little follower of Christ? Would they say to you that you're trying to be like him? Would it be enough for them to recognize who you belong to? I think far too many times we think of the word Christian as an adjective and not a noun. 
right? We use Christian to describe something. We say we go to a Christian church and we listen to Christian radio and we watch Christian TV and movies and we go to a Christian bookstore and we live in a Christian nation and we use this adjective when maybe Christian isn't a word that should describe something. Christian is a word that should be something. You are a Christian. You are a follower of Jesus. You are resilient. You are telling other people. You are connecting and growing and serving. You are making an impact. You are changing the world. The state of the church, know this, the state of the church will be determined by the life of the Christian. The way that you live is gonna affect the church. It's gonna affect our world. It's gonna affect this church. My question is, when people see the way that you live, what are they calling you? One other kind of interesting fact about the city of Antioch. Third largest city in the Roman Empire. Rome, Alexandria, then Antioch. It was, it was notorious for its immorality. Like it was known as a pretty bad place. There was a river that flowed through the city of Antioch called the Orontes. And there's also a river that, that flows through the city of Rome called the Tiber. And what they would say, they would say that the Orontes flows into the Tiber. This was not a good thing. Geographically, it doesn't. They were saying the influence of Antioch is so bad that it is affecting Rome. This is not a good thing. Where you have Rome, the headquarters of the pagan world, being affected by the city of Antioch in a bad way, that means Antioch is a pretty bad place, right? And in this bad place, in this tough place, in this anti-God place, kind of place, the church lived their life in such a way that it got the attention of the people around them to say, there's something special, there's something different, there's something about those Christians that I want to know more about. I don't know how tough the world is that you live in. My question, though, is your life making a difference? And so, Father, we thank you for your word. God, thank you for the encouragement to be resilient today. That even when we face opposition, we look for opportunity. Even when life seems to be a setback, we, we see it that you're setting us up. God, we put our confidence in you to know that the church is alive and well. Lord, you've called each one of us to be an agent of life change, right, right where we are locally, and yet unlimited ways, God, you want us to reach other people, even, even globally around the world. So help us, God, to reach out to those in our world, outside our world, around the world, that we would touch other lives. Father, would you help us to connect and grow and serve so that through our lives, our homes, our schools, our, our, our businesses, our, our neighborhoods, our friendships, our communities, God, our church would be impacted because people see you in us. They, they see us live for you. God, that we wouldn't just be Christian as a way to describe something, but we would be a follower of Christ to our core. And that as a result, people's lives would be changed. So, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Father, we ask that you'd send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hey, thanks for being here today. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.